You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back, Land Lakes Podcast, guys. Uh, it's good to be um, good to be enjoying the fresh the fresh air. We're back out in the in the outdoor studio, aka my backyard, and uh, you know, f- for for hunting conditions, it's terrible. <laughs> it's uh, seventy mid seventies, early yeah. uh, low seventies, and but for as far as just enjoying November. Just, weather just it's amazing yeah I mean, and it's gorgeous. uh so Com- we, it's comfortable yeah i'm in a t-shirt <laughs> yeah and uh, i was outside with the kids you know just a little while ago and even the three-month-old is enjoying it so i just, can't complain too much which is rare but i looked at i looked ahead in the next couple of days and it's like 60 still, still not great 60 as a as a low like so, like the line graph, you know, from like a morning to an evening, it was nearly flat. Like there's a slight incline. Is that all week or is that no? Pre- it's like okay. Monday, Tuesday. But then the next couple of days, it gets down to the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're gonna be mid 30s at night and stuff. So, so. this podcast will drop on Tuesday. Yeah. So it'll be we'll be right in the middle of that flat, uh, flat temperature graph. <laughs> it's flat lined. <laughs> but uh, yeah. After that, after that, hopefully yeah. we'll have some more good stories to talk um, about. But I fully anticipate that it's going to be like meh, and then Missouri rifle season will open up when everybody's hunting, and it's going to be like bad. Like the the, the weather drops and the temperature is amazing, and deer are moving like crazy, and they're just getting blasted. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. It's going to be like okay. average. All right, from from what I've seen so far. Well, um, so we'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. That's anyway. always weather just due to change. Yeah. So. Uh, We've got some deer got hunting stories. Kind of uh, to tie to tie in with last week's podcast, um, you're going to hear later on in this podcast, we interview Kevin Harlander of First Light to hear some of the new stuff that they have coming yep. and uh, some exciting stuff that they're, that they're working on. So that's coming up. But before we do that, we need to tie in with kind of uh, last week's podcast where we tracked the movements and kind of pre-rut pre-rut habitat features um so not only can you look at it from a standpoint of what you need to do but also what you need to hunt and we really focus in on cover we focus in on the pre-rut and the chase and downwind and and all the wonderful things that we love and what we do with our job of of lining out um habitat that you can not only use to improve the wildlife but also the hunting that but then also specifically tying that into a deer that was utilizing that type of cover and then now tying it in with 
a hunt. Yes, for sure. Um, before we do that, let's just give a quick shout out to somebody that makes this podcast possible, Niangle Coffee. Uh, one of our good good pals over there, him and his wife run it. And uh, amazing coffee, amazing people. Go check them out, nianglecoffee.com. Also, before we kick back into it, um, consulting season, I know you've been booking stuff like crazy. Oof, yeah. We've been getting yep. emails, uh, multiple emails every single week about trying to line out consults. We've got a bunch of states on the books for 2021 starting in in January. Um, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Mississippi, East Coast, Illinois, <laughs> all over, honestly, Missouri, Georgia. It's, 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 it's getting there. Yeah, so <laughs> just try and shut us down, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot of consults coming up. And so, guys, if you're in the middle of the deer season blues and you don't ever want to experience a deer season like this one, give us a shout. Shoot us an email at info at landandlegacy.tv or shoot us an Instagram or Facebook message. Um, and we'll be glad to help you. I think Absolutely. You get ready because you're getting ready to have a lot of uh, – We've got several podcasts lined up with clients who yep. are having a lot of success, another and, uh, kind of keying in on the store on, on the habitat work and and how it made them successful. So another two hundred inch story coming. Two hundred inch story. Yep, Whew. yep. It's been awesome. But yes, if you're interested, please contact us and uh, we'll get things scheduled out. For sure. Um, Back to so deer hunting. We talked about the wide nine. Yes, that was kind of the focus of the the deer. We did two we did two podcasts last week, both kind of similar. Yeah, um, yeah. That one really focused on the habitat, and the other focused on just overall deer movement. Um, and and the deer that we were tracking, we're talking about was wide nine, and that's the one who took like the the mile and a half kind of loop around. Yes. We're able to track it based on scrapes, and then talked about like the the linear movement, right, of what he was doing within that. Um, track that was very consistent from years previous and it happened to be oriented around the habitat of, of very specific cover types for sure but and so you know i think i told on the podcast that chad and i had an encounter with that deer yep, yep. um and that was the i i, I believe i'm i'm either at f- that was the fifth hunt or the sixth hunt total for me this fall so in comparison i would imagine a lot of our listeners have been in the woods far more than I have um, but be, and I only bring that up because in the fifth set we had an encounter with our number one hit list buck um, flash fast forward one week and that's where this story goes and so we'd been talking about having this buck show up on camera and all his movement and I talked about moving a camera around last week and put it up, put it up on the end of a ridge and the first night that the camera was up ding he shows up on camera and it was like okay there's a really good chance that this deer is utilizing that ridge we call it we call it kingsville ridge um so okay he's 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 on this ridge probably more than we anticipate um and and the reason we say that or kind of the the mindset was the northern side of that ridge at least where it ties in with the very south end of a cattle pasture there's a food plot there even though it hasn't been very productive this year because of no rain, um, we've got a camera up on a scrape. And he's, I was thinking back, I'm not sure he's ever been on that camera this year, has he? Once or twice, maybe? A couple maybe? times, I think. Um, 
I can only think of one time, and I went back and looked through all my pictures saved of him, and I'm like, I don't think he was there other than a month ago. He hasn't been there very often. Right, since the scraping really increased and a lot of movement, that uh, it's almost like that camera location was a little bit obsolete, right? Yeah. Like the, and the ridge isn't very Just wide. Just for him, there were still a lot of young oh, bucks sure. and does there. It was, it was an active camera, but not for that specific deer. Yep. I think that is super important because I've kind of experienced a little bit of the same on a different property, on a different deer. It's like, I mean, we're talking 10, 10 yards of, of a camera location, and it changed you know, just in a couple of days, what the heck is being seen on the property? And it's like, good gracious. It goes with that, your cameras are lying to you right. podcast we yeah. did. Because he was very, he was only there once in a month. And it was like, well, this, you know, we could have, we could have went off that you'd anticipation think, of, or, or that idea that he just wasn't utilizing that ridge. You'd think inconsistent at best. Yeah. And I hung the other, fortunately enough, we have enough cameras that I hung another camera down on the other end. And basically, in between the two is a is a pretty narrow ridge. Um, at that point on the ridge, it's probably 150 yards across, flat, and then kind of gr- slopes off the side. And in that, mm, about 10 years ago, we had a wicked storm blow through, straight line winds, a lot of trees got blown over. Um, and it, it replicated a bedding thicket, right? It grew up pretty doggone thick. And uh, we've continued to burn it. I think it's been burned twice in that 10-year period. Um, so there's a lot of – there's there's plum thickets. There's lots of uh, um, persimmons. Saplings. There's yep. oak saplings. And then there's bigger oaks dotted through. But overall, it's got a, a diverse um, – a diverse landscape or diverse area area of different age structures of trees and different species of trees as well as brambles and shrubs and some grasses plus quite a few a pretty dense concentration of black oaks as well and that's been really key for this fall yeah based and then and then you throw that onto a a tight ridge not very wide well you know if they're going to move on it yeah. <laughs> so basically we had that that ridge and the cameras were probably 500 yards apart. I don't I don't know. I haven't put it on a graph or on X to to measure it out, but um about 500 yards and so this new camera location on the south end which is on the um just off the south side of where it really gets thick on that ridge and he's been there consistently. Um 8:30 in the morning, 7:30 in the morning, middle of the night. Um 7:30 in the evening. Uh, just been there a lot, way yeah. more. And and at that point, we hadn't picked him up because it was almost a month ago before we had him, or the last time we had him on the front camera. So it's like, okay, he's clearly on this ridge, but he's in the back and maybe not on the front as much. And so with that idea, Chad and I talked, and I well, it, and it's not to say that he wasn't on the front, but he was not on the the front where the camera was totally yeah like he's he's still on this ridge but like maybe well, just off like a little bit of the slope maybe not like right on the flat top yes but like or he's still utilizing that a lot or of it. he was using a different part of the farm as in dumping down off the ridge and going a different way up into the farm and so the verdict was out on really how he's utilizing this ridge other than the fact that we know he's on the south end pretty consistently on camera on a, on a couple of scrapes and so, uh, you know, Chad and I talked, and then and then we got in a group text, and we're like, you know what, let's let's kind of. I said I'd really like to get a stand on that south end by that camera, 
and maybe slip in up the steep hill. I mean, it's 220 foot elevation change from where you would park to get to that, to get to that ridge where that camera's at. But it's kind of one of those where it's like he's in there so much, we got to risk it. And uh, so you and Chad actually went in yep. Friday and hung a stand midday. Um, and it wasn't five I mean, yards behind the camera. Yeah, yeah. They, they, because of the windstorm, trees are pretty sparse well, uh, to hunt out of. There was a lot of things that, even though it's a wooded ridge, based on the trails that were there, based on the camera, based on the upcoming winds, and the narrowness and the rolling topography, like there was only a couple trees that would were even in question. And then, based on being on the side of the ridge too, you're like, if this is an east wind. I mean, excuse me, an, uh, yeah, a southeast wind, you're, you're going to be facing east, so the sun's going to be coming up kind of in your face. Like you could be skylined so easily, yes. <laughs> like the trees. And then, so you're right, then the windstorm, you're like, well, I don't have a lot of limbs, this and that. Like It's like, oh, well, there's your only tree. That's it. Yeah. It's got to be that one. And you better sit tight. And, yeah, uh, for sure. So that was the tree. You guys hung it Friday. And then, so Saturday, Chad and I teamed up. And it was my turn to my turn to hunt, his turn to film, and uh, we snuck up the hill, and it, and you know you never really know. Once again, you can't your cameras are there, kind of a, just observing, but there's a lot of information that can be taken better. That's why I don't really ever like the sales pitch of if you're not in the woods, you can still scout your woods because trail cameras can only do so much. Well, right. And right. uh, they're out there longer than you are, but they're only serving a very small percentage of it, right? Yes. 25 feet in one direction, that's it. Yeah. And and if you don't aim them right, then they're not doing you any good. Yeah. And so uh, when we got to the tree, and Chad starts climbing up. As he's climbing up, a deer, a deer storms off. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, ah. Uh, but it's also November 7th, so it's kind of like, you know, you never really know. It could have been a doe fawn that's just like, oh, running off. Yeah. And and so that's why I don't ever get too upset during the rut of bumping deer walking in because it's hard to say where they're going to be, if they're going to be in the middle of the field or in areas they haven't been. Well, and I think the other – we talked about it last week is like sometimes that sound, like when we were talking about if a deer blows, well, that gummit, then a buck yeah. knows there's a doe or, or deer over there to go check out. And this thing too, if one runs off – even if it's a little bit quicker pace and a little bit what what you know as an alarm, off to another deer on the other side of them. Well, they don't know that. Yeah, deer run around like crazy right now. Yeah, and so we got up in the stand, um, and what was forecasted as a southeast wind turned into a slight variable northwest wind, um, which was still okay because the thick the thicket that we were hunting was north of us. So yeah. as long as, and since we were on the very southwest corner of it with the steep valley below us, it was like anything east is great. The, what the the worst wind we could have was southwest or straight south. Yeah. And uh, and so northwest was still threading the needle enough, but it's like, eh, we, we just got to sit through it. Yeah. We Pr- cranked up the Ozonics. Pretty much every morning picture deer were coming from the north, like out yes. of the northern region. It really yes. wasn't southerly, so a little bit of a north wasn't bad. No, and so we cranked up the Ozonics, 
and you know this is, goes back to August podcast or September podcast products we're really trying this year and Ozonix is one of those we continue to try and continue to try and and so I want to point out that we were running two of them for Chad and I both um, and we're sitting there and about 7:30 a nice three and a half year old eight pointer comes by and he and he came by in a in kind of a he didn't work the scrape, did he? No. Yeah. No, I didn't even think about working the scrape. He right. walked, you know, I said 300 yards across or 150 yards. So I don't know. 150. 150 across. <laughs> Where we're hunting, it's a lot more narrow. It, it's it's like a unique ridge. Very Maybe unique. 100 yards across. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Actually, I don't think so. Because I, from where you ranged I that deer, shot all the way across it. Pretty I much, guess. it was. It, I think it's like fifty if you really want to get technical on at the at the from break to break. Um, we're kind of just above the break, and he was just above the break later on. Yeah. But in uh, later on the story, so I kind of let the cat out of the bag that an arrow flung. But um, this little three and a half year old buck, he comes by, and uh, he went right through one gap and. This is one thing about those hanging hunts. It's 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 fun. I love hanging hunts, but I also hate them for this only reason: is shooting lanes aren't cut no. um, very well. And if and if you are cutting them really well, you're risking the chance that deer walk in there is like, whoa, something's really off about this. And and so when I Chad and I went in and hung that set, I was down on the ground and I had I took a, an additional saw with me. So I'm like, Chad, you just tell me what needs to get cut. I will cut it and either drag it back out or, you know whatever needs to happen and he's up there he's like no w- we can't cut too much we're like all right you can't just completely clear this whole ridge off right and the tree that is kind of an issue is one that has like the most leaves and so it would be like this stark difference right next to the scrape of a point of focus and so that really wasn't much of an option as to really de-limb that puppy because that would have been just uh, the the elephant in the room, let's say, when those deer who are very used to coming there on a regular basis had zero time to get that basically back to normalcy, right? So that really was not a good option of taking that thing out or really limiting it up heavy. Yeah, no, not at all. And and any time, if you've ever gotten aggressive with your trimming, um, like trimming out lanes and then hunting the very next day or even the same day, you'll probably experience a nosy doe who comes in as like nosy start to something's look something's very off about I, this. I remember we we've we've had hunts where we've done that just kind of been forced to cuz that was again maybe the only tree or the only option you had to cut um the deer would go and, and inspect and scent that individual log like or what the 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 um tree that you cut all those limbs like they are very very nosy and extremely on edge when when they see that um so if you if a doe's doing that you kind of assume maybe too much but you assume it's like well i don't know how a, a a wiser buck may react to that so I try yeah. not I, basically it's like bare minimum that's that's kind of the, the yeah. mode i go with get by Get by, and if it's a Can good spot, shoot? then come in late season yeah, right. and cut it out the way you need to or yeah. in the spring. Um, but as long as you can at least shoot around you, yep. don't expect the 10-yard <laughs> wide lane where it's like, oh, this is yeah. this is easy. And so anyway, I say all that because there was that nasty post oak, cat-faced, mm-hmm. just a gnarly, and a gnarly thing, lots of leaves on it. You would think 
if it's been cat-faced, you know, fire, damage, this and that, that thing, why would it be holding its leaves? But it, it's holding, no, holding all, all of them. I don't <laughs> know if it lost a single one. And, <laughs> and that three-and-a-half-year-old buck, he walked through and was like, I told, I looked back at Chad and I said, that's right at 40 yards where he went through. And if the nine-pointer we're after does the same thing, you better be on him because that's my only shot on mm-hmm. that side of the ridge. I was hoping deer would come straight down the center of the ridge on the old road and it would be, you know, super easy. And easy it was a peasy, very well-defined trail doing that too. Yeah, but um, as we sat there and watched that deer just go straight south, it was like, okay, well, whatever. Um, I hope he doesn't do that, but we'll see. Uh, about 8 o'clock. Um, yeah, because we, you and I were texting in the tree. Yeah. You had shot a doe already. Yep. I um, shot the doe at like 7.30 or something like that. Yep. And then you'd kind of gone quiet. Yep. And, and I was like, maybe, maybe they're into deer. Maybe some deer are close. Yep. Sure enough. What uh, happened at 8? So at 8 o'clock, we heard some more deer. Um, and I and, and actually back up 7.45, I'd heard deer like down off the hill because of the terrain. You can't see, you know, you can hear a lot of deer and never see them. And we heard, and I was mm-hmm. like, I told Chad, I said, did you hear that? Of course, he had his head up by the ozones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or the ozonics. Yeah. And, uh, and was kind of looking the other direction. He goes, no, hear I didn't what? hear it. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I got to give a shout out, quick tip to a, uh, to a client of ours, friend of ours, um, G. He, uh, we had kind of talked about the ozonics being a yeah. little loud. And he told me, flip them upside down. It's helped. It's helped tremendously. Yeah. Um, and I've been running them on EcoBoost. Mm-hmm. Um, or boost one of the two, and flipping those things upside down, it's it's worked really well. Um, I feel like an idiot because I, you know, it, they don't really have the clamp, the the quick attach. It kind of makes you feel like it'd fall right out. But it's it's snug just enough. That's and like, if you tilt it just enough, yep. there's enough, I guess, pressure that it doesn't fall. So, yep. gee, you're the man. You helped us with that. Well, uh, and especially when you're running the camera because they're on the back side of the tree, right? So if yeah. you're if you're running camera, um, it can be right there loud in your ear. And, and, and that communication back and forth between a hunter and cameraman um, is pretty key. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you kind of need that. So that definitely has helped out uh, a lot. And then in the situations when you want an Ozonics to work really well, when there's not much wind and you hear that noise, it's like, dang, what else can hear that noise? But it's really nothing. It's just the fact that it's right there at your ear level. But no, it, that has been definitely a great tip. So, so you hear the buck grunting down below. Chad yep. doesn't hear it, but it's well off the ridge. You guys can't probably even see it. No, you just hear, you just hear it, and it's kind of one of those where you're a little bit like, ah, I cannot tell. I can't tell if that was really what I heard. But when I heard the grunt, I was like, that that was a deer. Yeah, um, that was definitely a buck grunt, and. Uh, so I'm I'm sitting there and just fully anticipate. That's where the three and a half year old came from, and about eight, a little after eight, uh, Ch- Chad and I are sitting there, and he goes, "I think I hear one." I'm like, "His hearing's better than mine," and uh, I'm like, I, "Yeah, I think so too." And then it got a little closer, and they're like, "Okay, that's totally a deer." Turn the GoPros on, grab the bow, and he's like, "Oh, it's a doe. It's another doe." And I was like, "Oh yeah, there's a fawn there too." And it ends up being five does. And, and they kind of came from the direction. Same of, direction. Of norm, normal direction where you would expect the sets kind of hung up, hung for. No, same direction as the three-and-a-half-year-old. East side of the ridge, 
coming up. But right, north, north headed south. Though. North headed yeah. south, yes. Yep. But instead of being, the ridge runs north and south, and instead of being on the west side of the ridge coming south, they were on the east side coming mm-hmm. south. And uh, so it ends up being, I believe, four mature does and one fawn. Yep. Which is a nightmare <laughs> because... On a narrow ridge. You've got four <laughs> deer who are extremely nosy and paranoid. Also, there's no wind. Yeah. And the wind is, because of that, your scent is just kind of... Uh, I had just Floating. released some milkweed just right before that, and it kind of set there. It's like one of those where it like hovered in front of your face. You're like, I got a bubble. A, and a few of them went down to the ground, and yeah. a few kind of rose. And it's just like, oh, man, this is bad. Yep. Man, I hope those ozonics really do work. And uh, so we're, we're, we're sitting there. And by the way, I just want to throw this out there. I'd already peed twice that morning. You know us, or you, you could probably relate. When you get up so early because we live an hour and ten minutes from our farm, you have to have coffee, I, there's and I have to doubt. have a Coke just to kind of help me out, too. Oh, you you went the double shot, caffeine. Uh, yeah, I do, because uh, I'm like, well, if the coffee's not working, the coffee's not strong this morning, at least Coke will be that way. And uh, so I, I had already peed twice, right out of the stand, straight east, okay, yep. for those guys at Pee Bottle and everything. And uh, anyone who knows about drinking coffee and peeing, you know what happens. It smells like and coffee. It smells like <laughs> coffee. And I had sat there and... I hadn't peed but 15 minutes before that. We're sitting there, and these four does come up. Nosy nannies. And what do you know? You see the first one sticking her nose in the air. And that's always just like. And then, and, I, and and I then told Chad, I said, I'm not shooting the doe unless she comes in and gets real nosy and starts to make me mad. Yeah. And then I will shoot one. Yeah. And uh, because I would rather shoot one before she blows and runs all over the place and does that. And uh, I'd rather the other four go, what in the world's going on? We're running about something. And so I told him that. That's why I'm holding my bow. And they're kind of getting a little nosy, and more of them start sticking their nose in the air like they're trying to figure it out. As, as the more that stick their nose in the air, as that occurs, your, your butthole gets a little bit tighter. And like, yeah. don't do it. I was, do just, it. I was just sitting there. Um, and I, I was sitting there just like, hmm. This is going to get interesting. About that time, Chad says, there's a bucket behind him. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. And in my head, I don't know, I just had that gut feeling that morning, like there's a really good chance we're going to see this buck this morning. And uh, those does keep coming in. At this point, the buck's still hanging in the back right at the crest of the hill behind that stinking post oak. Yep. And so we're sitting there, and the does get closer and closer, and by the end of it, they're 10 yards Right sniffing the around, yep. right there, not even in the scrape, but basically right around where I peed and the post oak. Mm-hmm. And so, thankfully, that post oak is a little bit kind of a saving grace as well because they were behind it, so they couldn't get a real good look, and they're like in the perfect place to skyline us. Yeah. And so we're just like, you know, doing the squinty eye thing. Like, I'm not gonna look at them. I'm not even gonna let them see me blink. And. uh then that deer, that buck starts to move, and as soon as he moves, I can see he's kind of taller bodied. So I'm like, it's it's at least three and a half. Like he, he's taller than all these does. Yeah, he's at least three and a half. Um, but he starts to move, and then he turns his head, and I can see he's wide. And I'm like, that's our guy, and he's headed right towards that little lane I mentioned earlier. And I told Chad, I said, you on him? And at this point, Chad has just got the camera on him, <laughs> and he's like, yep, and. I'm sitting there, and, you know, you have two choices. I can try to go, 
really slow with the draw and hope that the the does stay there. Or I can go really fast to kind of stun them and give myself another half a second for that buck to be standing there trying to figure it out. I went with the really fast one. Well, and and it, to me, in my personal experience, that's the best move when when you have to make a shot. You're forced to from you know, limited shot opportunities, those does are right in front of you. Doing the whole slow move, that's just a longer time for them to pick up. Like, it's almost like you kind of want to spook them to where they don't know what it is, that then then they stop and begin to look back. And then, then if they don't just run off, right, then that yep. buck's not going to run off, though, either. So if you watch the footage, you'll see me raise the bow real quick, and then the does all kind of, like, scatter. scatter, and then I draw my bow. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Basically, when I did that, they all just kind of poof, blow out 20 yards and stop. And in that time, the buck's like, he takes kind of, he gets real alert and he takes like a half or one or two quick steps even further out on the lane. And he's 40 yards and I settle the pin and I squeeze and, you know, I knew I hit him, but I didn't know where I hit him because as soon as the arrow hits he reacts to a point where there's buck brush, he's yeah. off the hill. It's kind of one of those, like, I have no idea well, what's just happened. Yeah, like, the the footage, I'm sure, knowing the tree, Chad was kind of, like, cramped up, right? He can't pan that much. But even where the buck was positioned at on the hill, he takes two, two or three steps, and he's out of he's out of view. I yeah. mean, he's back off the other side of the ridge. It's that narrow. And so there wasn't much to tell from a reaction standpoint. Okay, maybe you could tell, is he carrying a shoulder? Can you see the fletchings? Like, what is going on? You just heard impact, and then we're left to wonder, where was the impact kind of thing? Yes, and it was like the worst, you know, I hate that that scenario because you're like... You leave not knowing anything more. You know, yeah, and I climb down, and I'm looking for blood, and immediately there's blood, mm-hmm. and I can see 10 foot in front of where he headed. I can see blood the whole way, and so it's like, okay, well, I know I hit him, and I know it wasn't straight bone because um, he's there's already blood. bleeding, yeah. Well, and and uh, Well, you had texted me. It was kind of like a zero or hero kind of thing. It's like it's either armpit or or low based on your gut reaction of what you saw, where you were aiming. He didn't really react much to the shot. Like he didn't seem to duck that much at all. He just moved, like turned his head and positioned his head a little bit differently. So you knew where you're aiming. And if the air flight is, is, um, you know, spot on, doesn't hit a limb or anything in the meantime, getting to him, you know where you aimed, right? So it should be right in there. Yes. So it's kind of like it's it's a, almost an all or nothing kind of thing. And when I shot, you know, there's a great thing about videos because you can always slow them down frame by frame and figure out exactly what happened if there's not stuff in the way. And in this case, there was leaves in the way. There was a, a elevation. There was buck brush. Everything. The limb of your bow, too. The limb of my bow, yeah. At one point, if you slow it down frame by frame, you could see the deer looking back to the north northwest. But then as the cam goes over, as the bow goes over, you can see him, you can see his head is turned through the, through the uh, limbs uh, uh, of my bow. So the split limbs, you can see that his head turned. And because of that, we're like, okay, we're breaking down what might have happened. Um, we're going, okay, that, that could have caused his body to open up more as he's kind of going back to the south. Um, so 
But to be perfectly honest with you, when when the arrow hit, my instinct said that arrow's a little far forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far forward it is, but I think it's more far it's more forward than I'm comfortable with, but I still think it could be lethal. But that was based on the arrow flight, not when it actually stuck him. And so um I'm just like, all right, let's let's uh let's just see what Let's just go down there and see what the blood looks like. And, and, of course, there's blood immediately, and so that made me feel good. But then also – And you guys waited a half hour before climbing down. Uh, it was so. about 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even – you know, I got – I eased my way in and to where the shot happened, and it was like uh, – I had no concerns that I'd spook that deer, even if he was laying down, well, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, down yeah. there 100 yards. So anyway, uh, we we back out. We come back four hours, four and a half hours later with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, first thing out of the gate, um, we you found the arrow laying right there. Somehow I'd missed it, and uh, it was like that first the first blow to what's going to happen. <laughs> whenever I looked at the arrow, of course, if the arrow if I hit basically if I hit front shoulder, the arrow wouldn't have been a full pass through no it wouldn't have been behind where the deer was standing obviously and so if i had okay so roll out a shoulder shot because i had a complete pass through at 40 yards Uh, i've done that before with this very similar uh, broadhead i shot him with the rage hypodermic and uh i thought okay and then i looked and uh there's only if you look at if you look at the three veins that that are on the arrow um, two of the veins had blood. One of the veins, the bottom side of two veins didn't have blood on them. And portion of like the white on the arrow didn't have blood on it as well. The bl- blood ring, yes. 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 And so it was like, so there's blood, but it's not great blood. And immediately when I saw that, I'm like, this is a brisket hit deer. I've been down this road before. That was a, not a, me pers- a red flag. I guess me personally, um, but also I've been Excuse on me. several... Uh, several track jobs over the years with with brisket shot deer, so it was one of those. I was like, "Uh oh, we might be in for it." Immediate, immediate red flag. And and truth be told, on something like that, you almost want to just say, "There's no point," but you have to look. You always have to follow oh, it yeah. and follow it and follow it and do your due diligence. And so we followed blood. Blood was good to first hundred yards, and it just slowly got worse and worse. And we tracked this deer probably. 200 300 yards and uh it slowly just trickled out but on the whole track job it was like all indications this deer doesn't even know he's hit and doesn't even feel pain right now because he's going down deer trails down into the valley yep and then he turns and walks straight up the mountain i mean and 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 it's very steep incline that side that side is so so steep. We're grabbing on the trees going up it. And, and it's he like, just and went he right just up decided it. at one point, like there's one, one spot where he stopped, bled out a decent amount, and then just changed his mind and went dead straight up the slope. And that was kind of like the, obviously the, the turning point in the track job where it's like, okay, we have not seen any bubbles. Um, there's, there's, you know, blood. It's not bright red blood. Like it's close to the heart. Um, there's no lung. You know, that it's honestly just muscle, right? A muscle wound. And so, um, yeah, that at that moment, it was like, crap. Although we were going uphill, the track job was going downhill. Yep. Um, because it was like, 
Jeez, the, the, a wounded deer whose life is in danger right now is not going to make that decision that he just did and do it with pretty good ease. Like you can see, if you're really conscious about watching, like where deer take the path, um, you can generally see like leaves turned over and things like that. It was not like he's dragging a leg. It's not like really super heavy steps. It's just like yeah, deer walk through here, and there's a, a couple specks of blood. Every yeah. so often, it's like, Dad, come it. Yeah. He was already slowed down and just at a walking pace 150 yards or 100 yards from the shot. Yes. And, yes. and you know, the does after the shot, they kind of stood around and then ran down, and some of them actually ran towards where he had went. So it's like there's a very good chance they ran down there, and he started going back nudging them. And so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I ha- we have to talk about it because it's what's happened. It's real life, and there's a lot of guys that have dealt with this, I'm sure. Um, but th- th- there's a couple of takeaways, though, at the same time. Yeah. Not even about the shot, but about the the plan. Not, I want to say pre-calling what was going to happen, but essentially knowing buck behavior, knowing deer, monitoring trail cameras appropriately based on you know, past years as well as current fresh sign and then making the play and going in and kind of watching it unfold. Mm-hmm. That's that's rewarding in and of itself. Well, that's why I said that earlier about how many hunts I've been on. If if I'm on hunt, if that was my hunt sixth or seventh, it means that, you know, I've had two encounters with this buck in less than seven hunts, which is a pretty good ratio yeah. if you think about it. And it, and it really kind of ties into knowing, knowing the behavior of that animal and, and uh, some of those other hunts, uh, one of them was filming Seth on his own farm, um, and other a couple others were. Uh, one of them wasn't even on that farm to hunt him. So well, and I think that there's, and we we talk about let's say private versus public land. This necessarily isn't like a an issue or anything like that, but it's just it's just a, a factual deal. It's like. How long have you guys hunted that farm, right? Your whole life. Generally speaking, you know a lot about deer movements. Now, a lot of that has changed over the years. Yeah. But it's changed in a more um, consistent manner because you guys have observed what just, let's say, naturally happens in in just, um, I would say, average Ozark habitat. Yeah. But then you said, okay, here are the observations. Now I'm going to manipulate it to a degree where it magnifies or improves the observations that we've seen. So then now we come into like, let's just say 2020 or, or like, you know, 2018, 19, 20, when we've got some history with this deer, you, you've matched that history with the deer and trail cameras, plus just general knowledge of how deer are working on the farm, what this deer has done, his behavior and the time of the year. And it really just boils down to, I feel really confident of going down to this area, watching it happen. Hey, look, eight o'clock. Here's five does. What do you know? The deer's there behind it. Yeah, like yeah. It it's not as much of a guessing game when you can have that history throughout the years. Then take the the habitat and man, just put it. Put you, like you legitimately, you put it on the landscape in a way that just accentuates what they're naturally doing, and then it's like, wow, hunting just changes dramatically. Oh, totally, totally. You like know, night and day. Kind that of stuff. deer, that that's a, a hundred and 
mid 40s or low 40s nine pointer really wide nice frame buck um best deer on the on the family farm right now and um you know to have an encounter with him twice in in a week i mean it's been seven days since yeah since we first saw him on in one stand and then had had the encounter where i i, I shot at him or i nicked him um the next week like that's a pretty good ratio and I, it all comes down to knowing knowing what those deer are looking for keying in on um during this time of the year think about it that's there's it. Fa- there's four does <coughs> and a fawn Fawn's going to be kicked out at some point as as whoever the mother was to that one uh, becomes receptive, but they're seeking out quality cover where they can and dense cover where they can get in. There's still woody browse and other food available, so they don't have to go rely on food plots or crop fields as much, and then they can still hide out. And man, it's just you know this time of year you got to key in on it. And uh, that deer, man, I I I feel very confident that. Um, <laughs> either we'll see him during gun season, see him this week, or a neighbor's going to send me a picture during gun season saying they got him. But that deer's not dead in my book. I don't, um, I don't Or think even so. fighting much of an infection at all because, um, you know, if 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 that had happened, then he's going to – then um, he wouldn't have acted the way he did on that blood trail. So um, I, I'm very confident in that, but I, I thought it was crucial to share it so people can understand what's what's going on and, and uh, know that we're, we're still going after him. Um, but also, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work to your favor. You can, you can do all the groundwork, all the habitat work, but um, the shot, you still got to capitalize on the shot. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, it does. It it ties in very nicely from last week's, you know, podcast discussion. And that's essentially, like, let's say that story is repeatable from your property to Seth's property to anyone listening, like Tom, Dick, property. and Harry's property. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it is, it's not just a, 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 a case study for a property in... Ozarks of Missouri, right? It, no. it is a case study of white-tailed behavior, time of the year, and and quality habitat, and it can be done anywhere. Um, so it has to be sh- shared. Um, but right, and it not every hunt obviously ends with a grip and grin kind of you know success story. But the point is, the encounter was made like like we expected. Yeah. And th- yeah. that's fun though too, because honestly, that's kind of the game, right? And I and it it definitely kind of opened my eyes of of future hunts of going, yikes, that was pretty. You know, as we do some stuff on the farm and we add some diversity to the pastures with some clovers, alfalfas, and we create more food sources on the farm, that bedding. And that ridge is going to be pretty phenomenal, and now we've got an access to hunt it on on a better on another wind rather than just a south wind. Well, it's I, like yeah. ooh, I like this. This is going to work. This is going to play really nice. Like like we talked about last week's podcast, like that that movement through that portion of the farm. I think because of the pasture fields and the ridges and everything, it is very linear. So like it's like there's multiple points just the way it all kind of lays out that like you can kind of get in and just slide into that a lot of that linear movement it's like over the course of next several years um, with what you guys have planned it's like that's that let's just say 
500-yard stretch. There's going to be a lot of deer killed in that stretch over the course of years. Because it's like, yeah. like, even if you killed the deer, right, there's other bucks. You just saw three-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer doing the yeah. exact same thing, right? Um, yeah. That That's just what the deer are going to be doing because the resources are there. For sure. For sure. Well, I, I wish it would... Uh I wish it would have ended differently, but it didn't. Um, but we'll be back at him this week. I don't know. We need to wrap up so we can jump on and uh, and, and yep. finish out this podcast with Kevin Harlander. I hope everybody enjoys it. And, uh, man, guys, shoot us some messages. Check out a YouTube channel, uh, social media, and let us know. Tag us, any of you guys. We've been selling a bunch of hats. Any of you guys out there being successful uh, with your hats, uh, send them our way send us photos i mean and we'll be glad to share them we'd love to share them and absolutely uh, man good luck this uh good luck this week and uh stay safe we'll catch you next time see ya all right we're back we're gonna we're gonna jump in and have a fresh update with our buddy and um i almost said uh our buddy and partners at first light mr kevin harlander thanks for coming how back. you guys doing man good to, good to talk with you you actually caught me at home i'm just about to put on my out of office uh, notification on my email and get the heck out of Dodge for uh, the greatest time of the year, man. November is here, and I already feel like I'm late, but here, here we go. <laughs> that's a, Wait, that's a good feeling. I, I'm shocked that you have to like you like manually put that email on there. I thought that was just like default setting. That's that's been my experience this fall. It's always like oh, I get the kickback, and then you email me back in a in a day or two. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I, I usually try to put out a response, you know, and say, "Hey, I'm I've got email, but I'm I'm doing other things, so I'll get back to you when I can." And, and <laughs> folks are pretty understanding. It's a nice industry to work in, you know. If I was yeah working in big tech and I put out an out office email right now, it'd be a little uh, it'd be a little problematic. But here we are working for the hunting industry, so it's a pretty good life. That's right. So so where are you headed right now? What what's a little season recap here for us? Man, I had a tough fall so far. Tell you what, it's been, um, you know, my one of my greatest passions is, is elk hunting with a bow, and we're blessed to live in a place like uh, South Central Idaho where we just have this ability to be in in the in the mountains and in the timber um, very quickly. So, right. um, yeah, I I, uh, I spent a lot of time elk hunting in September, and this year just didn't pan out. We, you know, we I've got this mission to try to kill a, a giant bull in the state of Idaho, and they're here. Don't get me wrong, they're here, but um, we just had some kind of unfortunate things happen. I spent more time in, in the elk woods than I ever have this year and had a lot of good opportunities on, on some smaller bulls and ended up um, hunting this one bull for, man, the majority of the last part of the season, and I just could not get him to do what I wanted him to do, and it got tougher as the season went on, and um, you know, but excuses are like assholes and, and, uh, there's, there's no excuse. I just didn't make it happen. But, um, you know, as an office, we had a great year. Everybody, uh, did really well. We had a couple guys that have never killed an elk that have killed the bull, uh, a bull this year. Um, we had some really successful mule deer hunts here in, in October. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a good year overall. And, um, um, I'm getting ready now. I, you know, I was in Nebraska last week um, on whitetails, and, and I'll be on the road now from uh, tomorrow through basically the end of November, uh, first week of December, hunting whitetails across the Midwest and, and down into Texas as well. So um, really a good good time to be there. And, and uh, like I said, I feel like I'm late. Um, seems like the first week of November was pretty good, or excuse me, the last week of October was pretty good, and then it got warm everywhere, and 
So he might hit it just right in Kansas here coming up. Oh, for sure. It certainly seems that way. October here in the Midwest, October was phenomenal for weather. Yeah. And then now the first week of November has been pretty pretty warm, pretty poor hunting conditions. So hopefully with this big front coming through, you know, when this podcast drops, it'll be coming through for most of us in the Midwest. And uh, I, I'm hoping that'll be the, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and it'll just blow open. I think so. And, you know, we got a lot of big deer down in Kansas that um, hopefully we'll get a crack at. And um, we're hunting with our good friend Gain Slade and of uh, Whitetail Properties and another first side pro staffer. And um, just a phenomenal guy. And, and he really is, uh, he's taking care of his ground, which is pretty cool. You know, he lives in Texas, but they've got this giant network of leases in, in Kansas that um, we're looking forward to hunting with him. And he's at Green River Outfitters and just a just a phenomenal guy and really is dedicated to putting people on deer um, and, and big deer too. So I'm looking forward to it. There's just, there's just nothing better, man. I, I grew up doing this stuff and um, it's just got it. As I age a little bit, you know, I, I get to, I get to get back into this like traditional sense and, and uh, get back to the roots. So we'll be in Kansas and then uh, Minnesota with my family. Um, my family deer camp is up in, northern minnesota and my grandfather is 80 i think 85 or 86 this year wow um and him and my dad built this shack in in northern minnesota in the 80s and he i don't think he's missed a deer season since like 1972 or something crazy that is nuts um, at this place so i'm really looking forward to spending time with them and, and that's really what it's all about for me at the end of the day is is really kind of figuring out what's important and and uh, spending time with those people you know Absolutely. That sounds like a great trip and uh, kind of round trip, let's say, but um, that'll be so much fun. A great way to spend the month of November chasing deer across the Midwest. Oh man, can't beat it. Can't beat it. Uh, So there's been some exciting news here recently with with First Light and specifically with the Whitetail line. What's the big reveal here? Man, that, that's a, a great point. I, I'm really excited to share that we've got a new specific whitetail pattern um, that's been developed over a long stretch of time. Um, it's called Spectre, and it's really a, it's a whitetail-specific tree stand pattern, um, you know, that really, it, it's just a, it's been a big project for us, and, and we, we've put this thing um, through the ringer, you know, over the last two and a half years, Um and I'm just really excited to be able to share with the world finally. I can't believe it didn't leak beforehand. You know, we got a lot of, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this thing and we, we kept it under the hat for a while and, and now it's here and, and man, it looks good in the tree. So yeah, it's called Spectre um, Whitetail Specific Tree Stand Pattern, you know, that's going to sort of take over the whitetail line uh, for all our gear moving forward. And it looks darn good. So if you have not checked it out, you definitely need to go to Instagram at first light and check out the release of that pattern it, it's it kind of resembles the cypher but very tree stand like I, when i saw it right away i was like oh my that's gonna blend in really well with just the 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 level of details um depth perception and everything within the the bark of a lot of different trees that you come across and even down to like the the minute details of you know little funguses and stuff that grow on them but just it looks like bark and, it, and yeah. it's pretty amazing but there's there's a lot of different like i guess sciencey thing kind of behind it and and i guess that led into the development of that um what are some of those kind of bullet points that make this pattern very whitetail specific 
Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I think that's what's important here to understand is like, you know, our biggest philosophy as a gear development company in, in the in the high performance hunting space is, first of all, um, we've become incredibly um, category specific. So, you know, in the past, there was a lot of universality through um, a lot of our different patterns and our gear um, with regard to merino wool and some of the construction of our, our pieces. You know, it was, it was used across the board. And don't get me wrong, fusion and, and, and cipher work really well in the tree. But the the development of this pattern and is built off the scientific foundation, you know, and then take, take that scientific foundation and then test it in the field. That's our biggest foundational goal with all of our gear is to put it through the ringer in the tree. Um, and, and that's what we did. You know, we started this project off in 2019 and early 2019, um, to really understand, you know, okay, how do we solve this problem? Right. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be new gear and new ideas. And this is not, a marketing hype. This is is this is literally to solve the problem of what is the best whitetail specific tree stand pattern we can make, and how can we introduce that across our whitetail line uh, to really optimize people's ability to disappear in the tree. So, the the components um, from from the foundational standpoint of, of the science come down to a couple different things. One is the micro and macro elements that are familiar to most people that know first sight. You're going to see you know, remnants of our traditional foundation of fusion. Um, but what we've changed is those macro and micro elements were designed specifically um, for the horizontal and vertical um, back and side cover that limbs and trees provide, um, as well as the consideration that the hunter is going to be sitting or standing against the trunk of a tree in most cases, mm-hmm. um, you know, or hanging off the side in the saddle. So really what we what that micro and macro elements do is they allow for you know focal confusion from 600 yards away when that deer pops out and maybe he's popping out in a food plot 300 yards away and he's coming towards your field edge um and those macro or excuse me micro elements that um really allow for you to disappear at close range so you know 30 yards and in um so that's kind of the first component the second is we engineered this thing to break up that skylight effect that often occurs when hunters are, you know, oh, in a tree yeah. with a lit background from the sky. Um, but yet the still, the pattern is dark enough to maintain its effectiveness in, in dark timber. So the, the point of that uh, sort of bullet point there is to understand that the pattern itself really is going to work across a wide variety of, of specific environments that we chase these really ghost deer in, right? So anywhere from the Ozarks where you guys are at, all the way to northwest Nebraska, where I just was, you know, totally different habitat, totally different landscape. But this pattern is going to work effectively across all those landscapes. So we tested this thing all across the country. Um, so, you know, the, the one, the other point that I want to talk about is sort of this this coloration, right? So it's it's definitely a um, sort of a diverge from our original um, color patterns, and that's because of the places and the types of environments we're hunting. So, sure, um, you know. We're not looking at a photorealistic pattern at all. You're not going to see like literal oak leaves or um, whatever, because that's not what a deer sees anyway. Right. Um, so what we've done is we've basically looked to disrupt the pattern or the human shape um, through this macro and micro breakup with coloration that sets into environments we hunt deer in. Right. So you'll see tinges of a of a burnt orange color that you know replicate those last fall leaves and some of the lichen and things that are on trees. You're going to see sort of this lighter color crackleature that's going to blend in with those um, big shapes like cottonwood trees and some of those dead trees that are around you in the fall. Um, 
especially in those uh, deciduous forests. Um, and then additionally, you know, the, the, the way that the, the macro breakup works, it's really designed to hide the human figure from the deer's eyes, you know, at, at further engagements and close engagements. So that's really the ticking point there is it, it really checks all three of those boxes um, from focal confusion to large shape disruption, you know, all the way down to um, disruptive coloration, right, that, that allows you to disappear into that tree. It looks awesome and it sounds awesome um, from all the work that you guys have put in behind it, but I'm sure everyone is like, all right, well, what are some personal experiences of, you know, field testing? What are some of those stories that you can share with us from um, maybe personal hunts or, or hunts from others who have tested it? Yeah, we've killed a lot of deer in this pattern, and you'll see that in some of the content coming out um, shortly. So, you know, across the board from we started in Kentucky, we've been in Nebraska and Wisconsin. We're working on getting to Kansas next week. Um, you know, last year we tested it in the upper Midwest, the, the southern Midwest, um, even in parts of Arkansas and, and Texas and places like that where the, the environments are really different. So the best anecdotal evidence I can give you is, is from my last hunt in Nebraska where I really saw it shine through because I had every piece you know, my whole body's covered in Spectre. And I actually put up a photo on my Instagram uh, this afternoon to sort of showcase the difference between Fusion and Cypher, or Fusion and Spectre. Um, so you can look at it there. But I'm sitting in this tree in, in Nebraska, northwest Nebraska. And just to give a lay of the land, this is, you know, just a it's, – it's near the Sandhill region in Nebraska. So you've got these really flat tops, right, that are CRP fields and pasture fields and, and then large tracts of agriculture. But you, you walk across the landscape and suddenly you're, you know, looking into this, you know, 300 to 500 foot river bottom right. that really holds a lot of um, what I like to call old school trees, you know, like big cottonwoods and, and a mix of um, certain kinds of pine trees and, and other conifers and also um, a smattering of, of, you know, hawthorns and kind of strange brush that you might not see in other places. Um so I'm in this tree and it's basically on a pinch point where a creek meets a river. Um, and the nice part about this is it's a, it's basically a runway from this, the safety and the food of the corn into this river bottom where they basically bed and spend their, spend their days. So um, my, my biggest like concern in this spot, right. Is it's, there's one tree you can sit in and it's in the open, wide open and right. there's hills on each side of you. So the deer coming across from the corn have to cross a hillside. And then they want to come basically straight towards the tree you're in, cross the fence line and hit that creek and run that down to their bedding. So I was sitting in the tree and, and um, you know, pretty much in the wide open. And this is a pretty historic tree stand. It's called the Plank Stand. It's a stand we've hunted for years. And, and Jordan Budd at, at her place there at, in Nebraska is really committed to this stand because it's such a good runway, especially pre-rut. Um, so I'm in the tree and, and this doe comes out. Um, into the opening, probably like 70 to 90 yards away. And there's this tree in the middle of the field that these deer are in the middle of a hillside that these deer walk to, right? And they look exactly down that fence line right into your tree. Because sure. they know there's somebody there. They know there's something there that's, you know, not supposed to be there. They're um, doing the, so the normal out. tree stand check. Yeah. Is anybody exactly. in there today? Eyes peering up. That's never fun. And if I would have known better, you know, I probably would have selected a, a better hanging hand spot. But this is just a traditional stand. It's really productive and, and it's really good. So um, this deer comes out. She looks right across the hillside, like without fail, right at this tree. Uh, 
looks at that tree for it seemed like 10 minutes you know just staring at it and then she puts her um nose back to the ground starts feeding her way back down this this fence line right to me i mean she was right underneath me um same thing with a little buck after that and then a mature buck after that and then a third you know group of does and fawns so the point of that is is just to say that you know we spent a lot of time on picking the right tree, hunting the right wind, shooting your bow, selecting the right broadheads, checking the cameras. So what we tried to optimize is, is for the guy that's, you know, really serious or not, we're trying to optimize your ability to, to disappear in the tree. And, and that, that just worked. You know, there's no other way to put it. It just, it just worked. Um, and one of the things I learned from that sit was just the ability for that pattern to basically eliminate color blobbing and isoluminescence in the tree is just it's just far and away better than any competitor camo on the market when it comes to whitetail hunting um and that was proven in that sit and and we've seen it across the board you know and in the green fields of kentucky in september and um in those like acorn line ridge tops in arkansas um there there it works it just simply works i love it yeah i do like all the the, the two patterns, right? The cypher and the fusion. Right now, it's like at any point, you can wear those and blend in. But then looking at this one, it's like, my gosh, versatility of that pattern from, you know, beginning of season, even into late season, I totally see it. And I think that's right. that's big to be able to geographically reach, you know, and, and where, for it to be applicable where all these whitetail hunters are at. Um, but, you know, even throughout the season changes, too, I I I think it's going to be awesome. So, yeah, that's what we developed it for, you know, was to from the first day of the season, usually in Kentucky is where we start to the last day in, you know, North Dakota from the blind or from the tree, um, you know, late December, this pattern is going to be effective across seasonalities, across regions, across environments. And that's really what we were after is taking our universal mindset of how do we make the best thing possible for everybody. Um, and really distilling that down into whitetail specific, um, development, production, testing, retesting, retesting again, throwing it out, retesting again, getting better and better as we go. You know, so there was a lot of iterations of this thing from the get-go. And that's really what we're after is like, okay, mm-hmm. let's let's print off a new section of this pattern and, and go test it in Kentucky. Let's print it off again and go test it in Wisconsin. We got better and better and better as we went. Um, and it was a, it was a long process, but we're here now, and I'm I'm really stoked about how it turned out. It's just it's just too good. Awesome. When is it going to hit uh, hit hit the internet where people can purchase it? That's a great question. So we'll we'll announce what's coming out in the 2021 lineup probably in January, so the first part of 21, and then we expect this product to be available, you know, late spring, early summer of 2021. Um, so guys will have it plenty of time for the tree um come 21 fall um and you know I, I think the biggest part is you know a lot of questions we're getting now is like when will it be available how can i get it what's going to be new and that stuff's all coming so we tell people to just follow along and uh and focus on killing a deer during this month and, and we'll get to that when we get to it you know <laughs> there you go there <laughs> you have it, it. Yeah, yeah just get excited and wait wait go hunting and just and just hold on pump yeah. the brakes yeah that's right <laughs> Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us and, and uh, letting us hear about the what's in store for everybody over at First Light. And best- yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate the work, and it's great to be a part of your guys' uh, team, and, and uh, I'm excited to see what you guys accomplish here in November. 
Absolutely. Likewise, we'll be following along with your trips and uh, be safe and have fun. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You guys too.